Welcome back to the Poptimist. Today we have FO Double G, Matt Fogg. Thank you for doing this. Oh no, I'm stoked. Thanks for inviting me. This is great. I feel like a local celebrity or something. That's that's really cool. You are a local celebrity. <laughs> I am trying my to grow my my celebrity. So please follow me on Instagram, the underscore Poptimist, as well as liking and following and subscribing the show. I'm also on TikTok now. Matt, you know about TikTok? Yeah, I do uh, dances there every Friday. I do these really like uh, suggestive things that, that we do. It's great. You should try it. It's awesome. Hey, I'm trying. You can find me on TikTok as the Poptimist. Same name. You as can find show. me at as, as the fat old dude. That's where I'm at. So that's where you're, you're at. Into that, yeah, if you're into that kind of thing. So you just, there you go. <laughs> so you have been a huge figure in my life. I saw the movie Whiplash. You were not as extreme <laughs> as J.K. Simmons. <laughs> But there is one scene that always reminds me of you. Um, you know okay, how when, when he goes and he plays to see him play at the bar after he's already been fired from teaching? Yes. And they have that whole conversation. And he says, there's no two words worse in the Eng English language than good job. <laughs> well, that, it's that is straight Matt Fogg. It's so funny you say that because, you know, Taylor, you, you probably know this, but on my wall, I have a bunch of quotes that I use regularly with students. And one of the quotes on my wall, which I love dearly, is you're not as good as your family and friends tell you you are. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I mean, the way you approach teaching is, is unlike because I had you as a teacher in Maine. I started off uh, for that that mid coast, whatever it was at Morse yeah, was High School. Yeah, it was like, a, uh, I guess we, we used to call it like a gifted and talented program where they try to get kids out of school and get them to do something, you know, a little bit, something they're more interested in, in like an intensive kind of way. That's what we used to call it. But I don't know exactly what they called it Yeah, uh, back then. But, yeah. mm -hmm. but that is how we first met. And then after that, you started the music school. Yeah, I did. I, I think I had already opened the school when, I think so. But But yeah. It was, I mean, it was 13 years close, ago. It was pretty Maybe close around, around that time frame because I was a senior at the time. And uh, I'd never really been around musicians like you and Chris and Uncle Mike and the whole gang. You know what I mean? Man, I, I can't believe I can't believe you made it out. I mean, you know, we, that's a crazy bunch of people to hang out with. You know, <laughs> it was uh, it was super impactful to me. I mean, just the way that you approach music was a. Uh, I'd never seen anything like that before. Never been in a, a semi-professional setting because you, you expected the, all the kids that you you teach to to approach their job like professionals. Well, I appreciate you saying that, Taylor. I do have high standards. You know, you you know, it's important that if you're going to call yourself a musician, that you you know you have some basic you know understanding of what the job entails. You know what I mean? I I, I often get frustrated because. Uh, and don't let me hijack your show. So interrupt me at any point in time. No, but, please. Uh, I often get frustrated because, you know, if I was to take a sign and hang it up outside my door and say that I was a brain surgeon, you can better believe that the police would be down here the first time I cut into some dude's head because I'm not a brain surgeon. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, but any old person can put a sign up in front of, of their place and say they're a musician. I mean, you know, you know what I'm saying? It, yeah, it's really, absolutely. It, it's, it's really not true though, you know? And unfortunately, you know, there's no um, malpractice for me. There's no musical malpractice, you know, this is the, the world just has to suffer by listening. You know? <laughs> there is a Nashville and you just get blacklisted. Well, that we, maybe we need to bring that back up here. <laughs> <laughs> so who kind of instilled that professional mindset in you? Well, I always, I've had so many great teachers, so I gotta, I gotta take a second and, uh, 
you know, uh, just I, I probably can't remember every single teacher that I've had who who is important in my life. But let's start with my dad, first of all. So my dad is, is one of the hardest working people I know. And we come from a long, long line of, you know, um, you know, just entrepreneurial uh, people, you know, just people who get it done, get up every day and do the work and make it happen. You know, my grandfather's a self-made guy. My dad is uncles, aunts, everybody worked, you know, and did their own thing, started their own businesses. So that's, I mean, I think that's the first place. My mom too, very hard worker. Um, you know, we came from a very working class family, working class background. So, you know, it was, it's always very natural to me to be like, oh, things are going to be way harder than you expect. <laughs> you know, that's just the way it is. You know, I've never known it to be any different. You know, of course it's going to be hard. You know, I'm not a well-connected person, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm not, yeah, uh, no. I, know you know, you I didn't have any, I didn't have any money or startup capital or anything like that. You know, and I, I remember <laughs> not that my dad, uh, you know, discouraged me to go to college, but I remember this very vividly, you know, he said, I said, dad, you know, I think I want to go to college. He said, I think that's a great idea. And I said, you think you could help me pay for it? And he laughed and he walked out of the room. <laughs> so I, so I said, uh, well, I guess, I guess I better, I guess I better work hard at something and try to make it happen. So music was for me. So. Well, you have like nine different music jobs as we were talking about before. Oh. We I've had a lot of different jobs over the years. Yeah. I've done a lot of things in music. Definitely. So what are some of the jobs that you had? So I guess when I started out, well, before I even became, you know, went to college and became a you know, professional teacher or musician, I had gigs. I played piano uh, down in Kennebunkport or ra rather um, uh, Cape Porpoise for years. I played, I had a steady gig at Seascapes Restaurant playing uh, cocktail piano and stuff for dinner time. And it was great. It was an awesome gig. Um, my first, uh, I mean, basically what I used to do since I'm sitting here with the piano is I, I would play like stride piano all night. So I would play. Yeah, I'd play stuff like that for like three and a half hours while people ate and, you know, drank wine and stuff. And it was great. So that was my first gig. I uh, went to college. I had uh, lots of different things. I had a uh, assistantship thing where I had to record the, uh, the different ensembles at uh, UNH. So I did that for a while. So a little bit of tech stuff, not, not a lot, but a little bit. And then uh, when I got out of college, I became a professional music teacher and choral director. I work for churches and I've got my own wedding band. Uh, I teach at the college level now, Bowdoin College. And I taught at University of Maine uh, at Augusta for a while. So, you know, uh, I, I own a private school too. I mean, I've, I've done a lot of different jobs in music. Um, I play a lot of different styles of music, jazz, blues, gospel music, R&B, soul, pop, everything, country. Um, my wife happens to be, you know, just a fabulous vocalist. So it gives me a lot of opportunities to stretch out a lot. She's the best, man. She's great. So very lucky. Yeah, anyway, absolutely. I'm not going to ramble, but yeah, I've done a lot of things. in Oh, I even directed the Jewish Youth Chorus of Maine for a while. <laughs> and I'm not Jewish. But uh, they, they accepted me uh, as a director and, and they taught me and helped me. So it was great. It was a really great experience. So. Why did you shoot to become so versatile? What was it that kind of, uh, did a light bulb go off where you're like, I, I have to do all this stuff? Yeah, so I think for me, basically, uh, I, I felt, I always felt that any opportunity that came, I should take it. Because I have just, I, I have a lot of philosophies. You've known me for a while, so I probably could, you know, 
talk your ear off with all my philosophies, but one particular philosophy that comes back again and again is um, people never remember <clears throat> the 65,000 times you said yes. They only remember the one time you said no. You, you know what I mean? This is how people's memories are, you know? So if you, if you're, you know, if you're, they call you up and, and uh, are you available to do this thing on short notice? We really need you. You really got to drop everything and you got to do it because it's an opportunity. It's knocking at your door and you got to take it. And so I've always been the kind of guy I've been like, well, this will lead to something. Even if this isn't my favorite thing in the world, I'm going to do it and, and I'm going to take it. And I, I do feel that, uh, you know, when I work with a lot of young folks these days, they don't feel similarly to that at all. I'm not judging them. Just they just they kind of want to wait for their perfect situation sometimes, you know, and, and I, I can tell you that I, I, I did many things that I didn't love, but I needed to do at the time. So <laughs> it builds yeah. character, right? Yeah. And, and, and also gives you an opportunity to learn new skills. You know, I mean, yes, I didn't have to direct the Jewish youth chorus of Maine, but I learned Yiddish and I learned Hebrew and, and it was great, you know, and I had a great experience. I met, I met a lot of cool people that I wouldn't have met before. I ended up playing in a klezmer band for a while, man. I, you know, You know, I wouldn't have learned that. I wouldn't have learned the Ahaba Rava scale. You know, I mean, that was great. <laughs> I learned something. It was great. Well, it's just so important to be able to do multiple things in music because there's not a lot of opportunities out there. And you get to a point to where you realize you have to start forging your own path, or hopefully you do as a musician, because yeah. there's not enough to go around so you have to be able to do a lot of different things yeah and not everybody's super well connected taylor i mean down in nashville i'm sure you have like the flavor of the month coming to town you know with somebody's money behind them helping to push their career along but that's not how my life has been at no. all <laughs> so no you know, you know so i mean I, I remember i have a friend i won't name his name but i have a friend who was a studio musician in nashville for a while and he told me he used to work at a studio and and, they, and he's, he's a great guitar player and he told me that Every week they'd have a new young gal come in who had somebody, you know, bankroll in their career. They'd record yep. a few songs and boom, push out another demo, push out another demo. He said he did it a million times. So, you know, what I, I mean? see, I see it all the time. I mean, it, the, kind of the stereotype is like, uh, you know, maybe a Belmont kid or someone like that. They, they go to school. They're well connected with the industry just from school, but they start their bands and uh, they're usually pretty garbage for the most yep. part, because their parents are paying the rent. They have no concept of hard work. They're a little bit spoiled and they just <laughs> don't understand what it takes to really push yourself. And it's like, as I've gotten older and I've been going on this musical journey, it's such a personal individualistic thing. One size does not fit all. You figured it out in Maine for yourself though. Cause I mean, you got the school going and then in the summers you have the, the wedding band. That's that's a huge thing. I mean, I just happened to live in Maine, which is like kind of a destination wedding capital, you know, of the country. Uh, and there's a huge well, there was before COVID a huge industry up here based on weddings. And I'm hopeful that it will come back over time. It's already starting to come back slowly. But uh, yeah, people love Maine. People uh, Maine, the, the brand of Maine right now is strong. I mean, I got I can tell you I can think of at least a dozen new students over the last eight months who have moved here from New York or, you know, Massachusetts or, or someplace like that and said, you know what? We want to buy Maine. We want Maine's brand right now. We want, you know, space, uh, quiet, you know, it's a different, <laughs> get it's out a of different lifestyle. And everybody now with COVID, they, 
a lot came to the surface with COVID. And for me, it brought to the surface, uh, especially lately, that I was just spinning my wheels throughout my my 20s. You know what I mean? I, I was very lucky to do all the stuff that I'm doing, the podcast, music, whatever it is. But I don't need to approach my career with the same kind of intensity as I did when I was 25. And in <laughs> fact, approaching it with that kind of intensity is counterproductive to me now. Mm-hmm. You want to explain on, uh, that a little bit? Yeah, well, it's just like being so crazy and career driven, and I have my eye on the prize all the time, which is good to always have your eye on the prize. But scheduling myself seven days a week to stay busy without taking any breaks really just started wearing on me and grinding on me. Yeah, now that's a common thing. I mean, everybody, you know, I've heard a lot of people say things like that, which is that, you know, we're all just going too fast, like 100 miles an hour towards the brick wall. And COVID was like, you know, (laughs) <laughs> the ejection button <laughs> you know what i yeah. mean <laughs> yeah, yeah no it was it was fortunate for me i'm i'm super lucky but i was getting burned out really these past three months because i had been going pretty much all of COVID. i didn't really let it slow me down I, I was just smart about the situation and i had recorded like 26 episodes so far this year of both my podcast yeah. and it just got to a point where i'm like i am not organized enough to do this because it's like the other concept you put in my head as a young musician was this idea of leveling up. The old stuff you used to do is not going to work to get you to the next level. Yeah, I think that's it's good advice. I mean, if you only practice the, thing, the things that you know how to do, then you're only going to make marginal improvement. You, being a musician is kind of like always being on the edge of what you don't know. You know, it's 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 not satisfying because you want to be able to climb the mountain and put your flag on the top and say, look, I conquered music, but that's just, you'll never, you'll never do that. That's just the wrong attitude, you know? Well, the journey and the, the funness is in the climb. Yeah, it's the development, right? It's the learning. That's the, that's why I tell my students is like, you know, just enjoy learning. Enjoy the opportunity to learn something new, you know? Take it from me, an old dude who doesn't have the opportunity to just take a class in anything I want to learn about right now. You know, it's hard because I got three kids and a wife and businesses to run. It'd be hard to just bail on all that, you know? So I got people who depend on me too, you know? <laughs> I've Well, you know, at one different- point, uh, not only was I a student of Midcoast School of Music, I also became a teacher after I graduated high school. And I taught there for a little while. And I remember one of the things you told me when we were talking about the kids and teaching and all that, you said you just have to make learning fun. Make learning fun because some of these kids, they're not going to go on to be professional musicians and that's fine, but they can use this as an opportunity to realize that learning is fun and they could apply it to other areas of their life. Absolutely. There's so many things to be learned from, you know, activities that don't necessarily mean that you're going to make it your career. But I mean, I always say to, um, to, to new teachers and, and parents, I say, my job is not to make your kid want to quit music. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? My job is, is to, is to help them make progress in music, not make them hate it, you know? And so th- that's why I, I've always had a very flexible, well, can I got to tell you, I got to tell you an anecdote that really sums it up pretty yes, succinctly, if, if you don't yeah. mind. So I, I had a relative who was a piano teacher who gave me a few piano lessons when I was, you know, eight or nine years old, you know? And um, I remember after the lesson, uh, like maybe the third or fourth lesson, that, that family member go, go into the kitchen and look at my mom and say, I'm sorry, but uh, th- there's really no way your son is ever going to be a musician. There's nothing I can do to help him. He just doesn't have it. And she left. This person left, you know. 
And so uh, <laughs> I heard the whole conversation. It was kind of, <laughs> kind of discouraging, you know what I mean? So I just kind of stopped taking lessons. And then I came back to music later in life as a, as a high school student, you know? And I'm glad that person was really, really wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so so the, the, the bottom line here that my advice to anybody is, you have no idea what somebody is going to become until they are properly motivated to do so. You know, you know what I mean? You got, you know, people love to say, well, they're never going to do this or they're never going to do that. You have absolutely no idea what people are going to do with their lives. You have no idea, you know? So you just, have, anybody that discourages you should just cut it out. <laughs> have so. you learned that just from living or was there a particular event that happened where the light bulb just kind of clicked for that? I mean, I, I've, well, okay, I can think of a student. Okay, this is, you know, I won't, again, I won't name names, but I'll just say I had a student maybe 15 years ago who, maybe 20 actually, earlier in my career, a private student. And this kid would take lessons with me on the weekends. And, and I remember just being like, what are we doing with these lessons? <laughs> I don't feel like we're making any progress here. And I was discouraging, you know, and I don't know what to do, you know. That kid, I swear to you, that kid grew up to be one of the most amazing jazz players I have ever heard. And I believe that kid is now on his, uh, his way to a doctorate in music. So, I mean, it just goes to show you, you have absolutely no idea, you know. It, you know, at that time, maybe I thought I wasn't helping at all, but clearly I was doing something and clearly oh, that yeah. student had tons of potential. You know what I mean? So Well, there's a certain brand of Matt Fogg motivation that you have where it's part busting on someone's skills <laughs> and it's just not up to snuff and it's part encouragement. I remember so many times when we were doing uh, the first taking it to the streets where, so I was 17, you know, I was a good player. I was a good player. I had some ability but I was not as good as I thought I was. And you constantly reminded me and harped on me for that. <laughs> and you also really busted my chops about learning how to sight read because it was just something I was very, very intimidated by, which by the way, now I can, I'm not a good oh, sight so happy reader, to hear that. but now I can. And well, I understand. Hopefully you got functional. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. semi-functional. I mean, I don't get to <clears throat> utilize it much here in Nashville because everybody uses number charts here. Right, right, right. But so much of what you instilled in that time period, just like, again, doing the taking it to the streets thing, there was times where I felt like you were expecting and waiting for me not to show up and kill it, and then I would kill it that day, and there would just be no <laughs> words. You wouldn't even look at me, because the band just sounded so hot and so ridiculously good that no one could say anything. Do you remember well, any of that? <laughs> I do. And I, I agree with you that I, my, my, my philosophy as a teacher is always to try to make fun of the students, but in a way that makes them laugh at themselves yes. and not feel badly about it. So I've been told I have a good way with teenagers, especially. Uh, and that's probably why I do what I do, because I, for some reason, teenage kids seem to like be like, you know, this guy's not fake. Like I, he's all right. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. I'm, I'm real. You know, I'm just, I just say it like it is. <laughs> Do you still have the hand? Oh my God. I, <laughs> hold on. I think I do. Oh man. I got so, so many funny things in my office. We should, we should just do a show and tell him in my office, Taylor, you'll laugh. We got, we got Jesus over here. I said, we weren't going to talk about religion, but there's Jesus. 
And then there's the hand, Taylor. The hand. So the hand was given out as a reward or as a warning. If you did a really good job, you would get – it's just like this uh, a ceramic hand that – There it is, baby. Was given to Matt. It's got a zombie on it now, too, and a Cohiba cigar thing from Cuba there. It's got – I got all kinds of stuff in here. This office is like – it's like Hoarders Unlimited. I was awarded that hand many times, both in bad and good ways. Have a hand. You deserve a hand. You deserve it. Oh, my God. This office, Taylor, you'd laugh so hard. I, I, I keep something from everything in here. I mean, just, just like, I mean, look, look at it. There's like stuff everywhere in this crazy office of mine. I know. Look at, it's the picture, picture of my kid. Look at that on the piano. they wild. <laughs> <laughs> crazy. So. I look back so fondly on those days because in that time period, I was uh, I was very depressed. I was not a happy kid. You know, I was not a happy teenager at all. And this, the school to me was really the first place that I was ever accepted and welcomed. And I felt like, oh, these people are my tribe. And I didn't even know that I had a tribe. It was uh, the, the group of misfits, you know, between everybody that was in and out. <laughs> and they were they were all people that were real, too. Between cool. Stephanie, Mike, um, everybody. Well, I, I got to tell you something, Taylor. That is by design. A long time ago, when I was in my early 20s, I had, I know this is, this is an overused word probably, but I had, I really had a life-changing epiphany. It was a huge lightning bolt event for me. And basically what it was, was I decided at that time, I think I was like 22 or 23, that I was no longer going to waste my time trying to convince people that don't think like me that they should think like me. I was just going to take my time and find people who already think like me and work with them. And that, and that's what I did. And that's what I've always done because it's just too um, exhausting to try to change the way people think. It just doesn't work. You know, you know what I mean? Like it just doesn't work. So, no. So I tried to find, I've always tried to find like-minded people that can fit into the vision that I have, you know, what I want to do. And that's been, and that's why I work with the same people all the time because I can trust them, you know, and I know it's going to work. So why did you start the Midco School of Music? God's honest truth. I hated teaching public school. I just, it wasn't for me. I had a lot of things happen through the years with public school. I mean, I remember, I, I won't name names again, but being intimidated by an older band director from another school, just like mistreating me. I was like, this is stupid. I, you know, the other, the, the biggest one, the one that really drove me crazy and wore me down down was every year being told that you know the music program could get cut and i might lose my job and i just feel like why am i even hanging around for this it's like it's like getting kicked in the head repeatedly and going back and asking to be kicked in the head some more it's like what am i doing this for like i already know i'm good at what i do and i already know i'm worth worth it and i already know that you know music is awesome so why am i hanging out in this depressing environment sorry i hate to say i mean i know there's a lot of public school teachers out there but it just was I had to get out. It just was killing me. You know? <laughs> well, the other thing that I really liked about the school was it was music that we weren't typically playing in school, you know? And that's what was so great. Cause you were teaching me basically how to be a bass player, who James Jamerson was. That's good. All that was good that. advice. Was good yeah. advice. <laughs> yeah. And I got to learn, I got schooled on the art of what bass truly was even though you're not a, a bass player, you know about music. You knew about all of this stuff and you just completely opened my world. Cause at that time I was in, I was into a lot of music and I was open-minded about music, but I was listening to like green day and my chemical romance, which I still like all that stuff. But the, 
Motown, Stax Records, all that stuff we were playing is all stuff that I'm still into today that greatly shaped who I am as a player. Oh, I'm glad I, I could help you. And, uh, you know, I'll just say it, it, it doesn't matter if you play the instrument. A good musician should be able to spot another great musician no matter what instrument they play. You know what I mean? It, yeah. <laughs> the qualities would be the same. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. For sure. There was, so, there was plenty of times, too, where it's like I had the talent, but I would show up unprepared. Oh, well, that's, that's an epidemic in our country, Taylor. Just look around. But. <laughs> yeah. But any so. of those times where I felt like I was a huge disappointment, you would feel it because it's everybody in the room knows it's your fault when you're the bass player. You have, you know, a lot of people don't believe this, uh, but uh, I always say it. Uh, people say, well, the time is with the drummer. No, absolutely. The time is not with the drummer. The time is with the bass player. And the reason the time is with the bass player is because the bass player is telling you where the next chord change goes in the song by where they put that note. It doesn't matter what the drummer, the keyboard player does, the guitar player does. You are carrying the band and the job of a bass player is the most important in any band. And you, if you notice, um, my bands, I always try to hire the best bass player I can possibly find, you know what I mean? Because they will make everybody sound good, you know? So. Yeah, well, it's just like you exposed me to other bass players that were working professional musicians like uh, Johnny Venom. He, oh. he was like my first bass Johnny teacher, well. good guy. bass teacher at the school. And then, of course, like in the later years, it was uh, Dwayne Edwards, you know, like Dwayne taught me so much. Dwayne is a very close personal friend. He's a good guy. I played a million gigs with Dwayne, a million gigs, literally. <laughs> I actually have a little Nashville connection to, to Dwayne. There was these guys that I was playing out with at a blues jam that played in a band with him, I think in Biddeford or something like that. They went to maybe school at UMA with him or something. Oh, yeah. And yeah. So I, I they knew Dwayne because I was like, I'm from Maine. And we just got to talking and I told them like, oh, yeah, uh, Dwayne Edwards. He was my, he was my bass teacher back home. That's great, man. Yeah. yeah. Well, Dwayne's the real deal. He's a good guy. Great teacher. Very reliable guy. Just good person. Good friend. Another thing that really influenced even like my songwriting and production style, too, is we always had these big bands to play with the, uh, the ensembles. You know what I mean? Because there's like yep. four keyboard players, three guitar players, right. a yeah. percussionist. <laughs> and right. We tried to give everybody a chance, you know, to play. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I absolutely love that because we we had a wall of sound and it's, you have all of these kids playing music that kids would not be typically playing and they're yep. in a functional, like semi-professional setting, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I do know. I mean, when I was in college, Taylor, they taught us the chorus band and orchestra model. That was it. That's what we did. We had chorus band orchestra, but, but uh, I mean, the fact of the matter is, um, Music education probably needs a facelift. Like 25 years ago, it needed a facelift, but it really definitely is, it's desperately in need of one now. I mean, they should be teaching all kinds of technology programs with a music ed degree now. That should be included in the, you know, in the curriculum. And it just, it, yeah. I mean, what you learn to do in a traditional music program in college is probably not what you're going to be doing in any kind of public school or private school setting right now. Probably not. So. Well, it was super smart, too, because you also had pop ensembles. So we would play all of these radio hits. You make yep. amazing, amazing charts. The best charts that I've ever personally seen, <laughs> which I, I remember when I left Maine, I stole a bunch of them. You saw me making photocopies. You got so mad at me. But 
they all came into good use because I just learned a vocabulary playing all this stuff. I'm like, I'm going to Nashville. I need to know how to do this. Well, it's good. I mean, at least you didn't open up a competing band like right next door to me or something. So I guess I can't, I guess I can't fault you for that. So <laughs> when did you first learn how to, to start writing charts like you did? Cause they're, they're just so perfect. Well, like, I, I appreciate to that. Taylor. I appreciate that. I have taken so much time in my life to get good at transcribing. It's probably the thing I'm better at than anything else. And, um, so when did I start? Well, when I was taking piano lessons at 15, 16 years old, I used to try to transcribe things. I'd bring them into my teacher and my teacher would laugh at me, grab a red pen and the thing would look like, you know, <laughs> like a, you know, an F on a test, you know, it'd be red all over be like, this is wrong. This is wrong. Nope. Not even close. Fix this, do this. And he was great, but he would always show me what, you know, I would try. And then he would show me all the things I did wrong. And I mean, I do believe that leaning into your mistakes is probably the best possible way to learn something. I mean, like, I think, I think, uh, one of the, the worst possible qualities you can have as uh, somebody who's up and coming in any kind of field is not being able to admit that you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> like, I think that's an epidemic in our country. Like nobody can ever just say, I don't know. Like, as if that's bad, They're like, no, it, it's probably the best possible thing you could do if you truly don't know the answer. You, you know what I mean? And so I've always been, pretty good about just being like, I have no idea what I'm talking about. So can you please educate me <laughs> and enlighten me on what I, you know, what I, I don't know. And so um, I don't mind it when people criticize me. In fact, I look at it as an opportunity to be like, well, maybe I can do that better. You know what I mean? And I think that that is a quality that I have, and that has been very helpful to getting better at anything. Um, so, but I'll also be the first person to tell you if I do know, <laughs> and I'll tell you why, why you should listen to me because I know what I'm talking about. If it's something I know something about, I'll tell you. But if it's something I don't know, I'll say I, I really don't know. <laughs> well, some of my favorite memories of growing growing up in Maine are those car rides that we would take because you would pick me up and That's we would right. go down to the music school and you would you would rant to me about so many different things I bet, in life. I bet I, I bet I did, man. You got the unfiltered version of me. So that must've oh, been yeah. intense for you. Holy cow. <laughs> it, it was intense, but honestly, like there were times you were really tough on me, but it was what I needed. I needed someone to just call me out constantly. Cause I was like, I can play. I know what I'm doing. You know what I mean? The young musician thing. And all musicians suffer for it. It's very, I've never met anyone who doesn't suffer from it. I had it real bad when I was a teenager. I thought I was hot shit, Taylor. Let me tell you. <laughs> I had to get it handed to me so many times for me to realize that I didn't know what I was talking about. It was good that that happened. Yeah. <laughs> there was one great story you told me about sight reading. It was one of your sight reading rants. Dude, you told it's me the God's how, honest truth. How God's crucial truth. it was. And it was about the Grammy bands. You had an opportunity to play in the Grammy bands. What happened? This is, this is a great story. Okay, and this is the God's honest truth. This really happened. So I uh, got a chance to audition for the Berkeley High School All-Star Grammy Band uh, down at Berkeley College of Music in Boston when I was like maybe 17 years old. So I was like stoked. I went down to the audition and it was a, it was a different kind of audition that I was used than I was used to. It was a, an open audition. So basically we were all put together in a band in a room and we played tracks together. And, and the, the guy was, uh, it was Phil, um, Phil Woods, the famous trombone player. He was, he was adjudicating the band or, or he was going to direct it, I think. Anyway, uh, 
the audition was going really good. You know, he was saying complimentary things to everybody. He, he I played a solo. He's like, that was great. You know, it was great. Anyway, he goes, just got one last thing we got to do. We got to do some sight reading. Make sure you guys can all read charts. So he hands up a chart and I'm looking at it. And I just, I was a, I'm a very, very bad sight reader, just very poor and did not take the time to really learn how to read music. And anyway, I just totally stepped all over this thing and embarrassed myself and it was bad. And as everybody's sort of getting up to leave the room, he walked over to me. He goes, man, it's a shame you can't read music because if you did, you'd be in the band right now. And he walked away and I was like, Ugh. <laughs> you know, it's awful. It's like so, so terrible, the feeling. It was just, Ugh. So what happened after that, though? What did you do? Well, I mean, un you know, unfortunately, learning how to read music was not just a switch I could flip on in my brain, you know, and I'm also not... I mean, I have some friends who are amazing sight readers who are like world-class sight readers. They can read anything you put in front of them, but they can't improvise, you know, on a sea blues, you know, that's just not their thing. You know what I mean? And so um, for me, sight reading has always been a challenge because it involves like having to really focus my creative energy on like black dots on a page and then looking ahead at the next black dot on the page. And it just isn't something that I really like to do, nor that I really want to do, nor that I enjoy at all. <laughs> you know it's I mean? a discipline. It is, it requires so much discipline. And I, uh, although I have, I, I can be incredibly disciplined in my life. I'm also like this kind of do what I feel feels good kind of person. And I, you know, I just do whatever I want, whenever I want to do it and, and drives a lot of people nuts, but that's who I am, you know? And, and so it really runs, you know, uh, counter to my core as a being. So sight reading, was very it was a very long haul for me and it took me a long long time to learn how to read music and i, I hated it and it, it it was really hard man it just was really a struggle yeah but it's, i did it's super <laughs> tough but it's rewarding once you can do it uh, like what i started doing was figuring out where my weaknesses were with sight reading it's like okay i don't like doing this why don't i like doing it because i can't do it well what can i why can't i do it so i got like a rhythm trainer book. And I just started playing with sticks in a pad and started learning the values of every single note. That awesome. way I could read. Cause I was already okay enough to where I could read the notes on the staff. Like I could figure that much out. And I was just doing it with a metronome every single day. And this was in a time period where I was already knee deep in Nashville. And I knew this was never a skill I was going to necessarily utilize, but when I decided I finally wanted to do it because it was hanging over my head for years, it was actually one thing that you you had said to me. It It's like you, you want to be a Spanish teacher, right? You want to be an English teacher, right? Well, you have to know how to speak the language. Absolutely. <laughs> Good advice. It was super Im impactful. I, dude, I cannot tell you how important it was in my life that I met you. Like oh, it was God. monumental just the mindset of music and the fact that you were so business savvy, I expected all musicians to be like you. And it turns out you were in like the top 1% of your approach. You know what yeah, I mean? I, I, I'm, I'm definitely unique, buddy. <laughs> That's for sure. Well, Taylor, I got to say, it's very sweet of you to say that. I'm so glad that I could help you. Like I, I I'm a complicated person. I, I don't always say and do the right thing sometimes, but I do care about all my students and I care about education and I became a teacher for the right reasons. You know, it wasn't because I was a failing musician. So, oh, I guess I'll teach, you know, no, I always wanted to be a teacher and I'm really glad I can help you. And I really, I sincerely appreciate what you're saying. So thank you very much. Of course. But, but you're right though. 
uh, musicians can be notoriously bad at business. I mean, it's really quite sad, actually. Yeah, it is. <laughs> man. I, I see it all the time. Like the main thing that I'm seeing these days is musicians that are trying to get their career started and get things off the ground. And there's all of these sharks in Nashville that are like, I can teach you how to get more Instagram followers. I can teach you how to be on Spotify and all this stuff. And yeah. right away, I knew it was BS. I could just smell it from a mile away because I knew what the realness was of A, playing music, and then B, seeing you operate your various businesses that you do. Yep. Yeah, you you have to. Well, I don't know what I don't live in Nashville, so I, I couldn't really tell you exactly what that's like down there. But I imagine being like this, you know, music industry hub, you, you probably get all kinds of, you know, crazy things that happen down there. I can only imagine. So, yeah, yeah. no, it's it's interesting to uh, to kind of see because it's like I've started to realize that there's different personality types now that I've been doing music for so long. I've been in Nashville for almost five years now. Yep. And there's a couple that I'll, I'll just mention to you real quick. They're, they're like archetypes. So there's mm -hmm. the weasel. They're always <laughs> looking for an opportunity and they're looking to reach into your pockets. Usually those people don't have any talent whatsoever. Right. It's like it's very much appearance. And I know this person. I know that person. Right. There a lot of name dropping. Yeah. <laughs> a ton of name dropping. Yeah. There yeah. are the pirates, which are like the old crusty musicians who will help you out and they even have a few things to learn from you but you got to watch them though you can't 100 trust them and then there's this other uh this other breed that i haven't come up with yet uh a name for it but it's it's people that i know like my buddy isaac short he's in this band called the weird sisters or my friend josh norfleet he's in a band called the reveal and they're just the the real deal i guess that's what i would call them the real deal you know what i mean just they're good players. They're good people. They're easy to work with because a big part of music is you want to be, you want to have good chemistry with the people and you want to like them. And in a very competitive town, a hyper competitive town, like Nashville, there is a million people that can replace you that may not be as skilled as you are as a musician, but they're easy to be around. They're easy to talk to. They're easy to work with. They show up oh, yeah. prepared. Yeah. We call that up here. We call that the hang. That's called yes. the hang. So yep. like, I don't know what they call it down there, but like, yeah. you know, like, oh yeah, that guy's a great player, but I just can't stand beyond a gig with that person. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, they're going to drink too much. They're going to start running their mouth, stuff like that. And it's. Yep. Yep. It's, yep. I've it, seen it all over the years. I've seen all kinds of crazy things happen on gigs, man. Crazy stuff. Yeah. What was Wild. the craziest gig you've ever played? Oh, dude. Well, I mean, I'll tell you a couple of funny gig stories. Cause I got a lot of them, but uh, okay. Well, here's, here's one. So we were, um, we were playing a wedding. It was uh, the goalie for the Boston Bruins a few years ago. And uh, anyway, it was a really kind of swanky affair. And uh, there were a lot of professional hockey players at this wedding. And uh, one of them was Ray Bork, the, uh, the hockey player, you know, the, the Bruins guy there. And, and, you know, great, great guy. So I, this story, while being 100% true, is, is not meant to reflect poorly on Ray. He's a great guy. But Ray, uh, when he drinks a lot, he decides that he's a singer. So he came up to the band and he's like, Hey guys, you gotta let me sit in with the band. And so I was like, well, I mean, let me ask, let me ask, uh, you know, the guy, you know, let me ask the groom and make sure it's okay with him. So yeah. I went over, I said, Ray's bugging us. He wants to come sit in with the band. He's <laughs> like, Oh yeah. He's like, yeah, let him sit in. It's great. By the way, you've never seen anybody drink like hockey players at a wedding. I mean, I, 
I mean, I'm surprised there were some deaths. I mean, it was just, it was incredible. I mean, I, I've never seen anything like it. It was just incredible. You know? So anyway, <laughs> so, so, so Ray Bork, he gets up on the bandstand and he, and he, he's like, you know, he's, he's, yeah, he's feeling, he's to the wind. He, he's feeling, he's feeling no pain. So he comes over and, and he, he, he kind of looks at me and kind of, you know, kind of sit and he starts to unbutton my shirt, right? <laughs> so wacky, like, what's going on? And I'm, you know, I, I'm a good sport, so I'm just like, okay, man, whatever you're into, you know? <laughs> just don't tell my wife. Anyway, <laughs> so he takes the tie off and he ties, he takes my tie and he ties it around his head like Rambo, okay, right? And then we start the song and he sings, uh, he sings, um, Wonderful Tonight. Yes, yeah. Did I tell you the story? Oh, you already heard this. Okay, well, sorry. I remember <laughs> you. No, please tell tell the rest of the story. I just remember because of the chart, and it's oh, yeah, yeah. Ray Baroque on it. Yeah, Ray Bork. Ray Bork. Right. Yeah, Ray. Ray yeah, Bork. yeah, yeah. So anyway, so that's right. I had written the chart because they had said that this might happen. So anyway, so uh, so anyway, so he uh, he sings the song, and he, in the he grabs a mic, he runs out. He's like standing on tables. I mean, it was just madness. It was just absolute madness. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was pretty funny. So that was a funny gig story. Anyway, he, he was great. He was a good sport. At the end of the night, his wife came up to the band and she said, uh, I see, uh, and she, you know, she's sober as a judge, this woman, right? I mean, she, she, <laughs> she looks at me and she says, I see you guys took some videos there, that uh, little display, you know? She said, you know, I, I wouldn't, I'd really not like to see those get out on any kind of social media. And I said, Oh, no, no, no. You don't have anything to worry about that. They got in a helicopter and took off. It was pretty wild. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I yeah. played one or two wedding gigs with you, and it was always so much fun. Yeah, weddings can be fun, and they can be very stressful depending on how the bride and groom are. But but if, if you got some cool people, we always have a good time. You know, I, I just listen. I just like to play music, and I love to get paid to do what I'm good at, just like everybody else. You know, this is the thing I trained to do, and – and I'm good at it, and I, and I just like to be compensated for my time. And, and I'm after that, I'm, you know, I'm a happy guy. <laughs> That's it. That's all I want to do, you know? So uh, you were mentioning before we started today that you have a YouTube channel. Will you talk a little I, bit about that? Oh, sure. I mean, it's not much. I, we put up a blog channel for the music school. And, and what I did was, because a lot of people, you know, they'll ask you questions when they call about lessons, you know, like, how do you teach? What's your philosophy? Yada, yada, yada. Rather than sit there and just go into, you know, great detail with every tire kicker that comes around i decide you know what a more efficient way to do this would be to just i'll just record some videos of my teaching put them up and you can watch them and then you'll know exactly how i teach right so and that's that's the way i've tried to model uh, all my businesses like you know what i can't just be on the phone all the time i got work to do you know what i mean <laughs> like i gotta yeah. do stuff so i i tried to make things in a way where i put forth um the evidence that I know what I'm talking about. And then I let people be the judge after that. You know, you know what I'm saying? That, that's all. I do it with my wedding band. Here's some videos of us. Here's the write-up in Bride Magazine. Here's some, uh, you, know, uh, you know, here's my endorsement with Yamaha. Here's this. Here's the proof that I know what I'm talking about. You decide. You want to hire me? Great. You don't. That's fine. Go down the street. That's fine. And that's the way I do everything. So. What's the name of the channel? Uh, I think it's a MSOM blog is what it's under. Um, if you type in MSOM blog on, um, on YouTube, it'll come right up. There's a bunch of videos there. There's, I've got some, Chris has got some, and Mike's even got a couple of videos up there too from before. So yeah. Nice. Well, Hey yeah, man, thank cool. you so much for doing this today. I greatly appreciate it. 
Oh, you're welcome. Thank you very much for uh, inviting me. I, it's uh, fun to catch up with you, and, and uh, I hope uh, everything's going really well for you and you're highly successful. Thank you. <clears throat> you're welcome. This podcast is produced to you by Taylor Miller.